This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hello. <laughs> Me give my heart to a woman. Not, not for, for nothing. nothing. Never happened. I'll be forever macking. That was in what? Mm. 90. What, what year was that? 99. That was in 99. Yeah. A few months later, he he asked uh, Beyonce to go steady. Good morning, guys, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Have a happy Sunday. I'm wishing that, I'm projecting that into the future that everyone will have a happy Sunday. Were you like, were you ever not going to have a happy Sunday? (laughs) Well, not the way some things are going for some people. So, yeah, the trains are doing their best to make sure people don't have a happy Sunday. And the the Wi Fi is not the best. (laughs) Yeah, we're really sorry. We know we announced that we might have been live. Um, Fortunately, it looks like I'm trying to get that to work. If you're listening on Politically Preposterous and we promised you we'd be live. Check it out through the Ustream link instead. I'm pretty sure that if they were looking for Facebook Live, they're not listening through FM. So <laughs> <laughs> we're okay. Well, well, anyway, all right, guys. So we'll we'll be listening through Ustream now. Yeah, yes, yes. if it's... If it's well, anyway, uh, happy Sunday. Right, happy yes. Sunday, guys. Despite uh, technology working against us, it's I know. nice to be back in the studio. It I is, Jackie. Welcome. So, yeah, guys, my name is Selena Hill. I am Miss Selena Hill on Facebook and Twitter. You should definitely check us out there. And Selena, why do you sound so awkward? <laughs> this is your favorite man in the world, Stanley Fritz. Not only am I handsome, I am also charming, and of course, I have the best rhymes on this side of Harlem. If you want to follow me, you can do that on the Twitter at Stan Fritz, where I got 36 notifications just this morning, and I didn't even say anything stupid. Or you can follow <laughs> me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle, where I just snapped the barbecue that I ended up going to after I traveled to Queens for my dad just so I can move a couch over for him. Yes, and then, Stanley, you know you plan to go to that cafe barbecue. When he was supposed to be at my house helping yeah. me unpack. Yeah, actually, I didn't want to go because it was all the way in Long Island, so I wasn't going to go. But anyways, um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. Can we friend you on Facebook or is that still not an option? Oh, that is a low blow, Jackie. <laughs> that is a low blow. So for those of you who are wondering, I was banned from Facebook for saying a couple of things. Which is like the most incredible thing about that is that it has not happened sooner and it hasn't happened <laughs> a million times. Yeah, I've gotten plenty of warnings from Facebook. I think that's I what just, it was. That's like, like, that hey, just Stanley. shows you the level that like the low bar that Facebook sets for itself that like even Stanley, it took this long of Stanley on Facebook to get back. Ba- to get blocked. They were like, Stanley, you can't keep calling people Uncle Tom's. <laughs> Stanley, stop saying that I about mean, Donald Trump. You know, not you for nothing, people to. say a lot worse thing yeah, on exactly. Facebook that I've reported that has not gotten taken down. Exactly, like, same. blatantly outright racist things that are said. Yeah, and I've yeah. reported people as it's well. It's only racist if Mark Zuckerberg gets angry. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know what to tell you. And then, of course, guys, you can always follow me on Facebook now because I'm back. And it is, of course, Stanley Fritz. Unless I create a second profile because they keep banning me. All right, Jackie's back. Hi, I'm back. It's ha- I'm happy to be here. I didn't <laughs> think I was sure? gonna. No, I didn't think I was gonna make it because the A train tried its best. Stanley was on that A train this week. That was derailed. Oh, yeah. Wait, Why are you on the A train? You know yeah, that well, doesn't work. Oh my god! I because I'm an idiot and I. <laughs> Well, was too tired this morning. We'll talk about it in the news roundup. Um, but you, I am happy to be back, political correspondent. You can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter at Jackie Cohen. That's J A Q I C O H E N. You can also watch Jackie on New York. You Mine. can watch me on New York. Well, I was all over TV this week. It was Tell a, us. It was a fa- well, we'll talk about it in the news roundup. But an A train derailed, and I'm a transit advocate. So yeah. thus the I two, s- you know, well, you're I not say advocating well enough because well, clearly because I was stuck in traffic I- for. God knows how yeah, long train traffic. I was in the derailed train, and the next day my train just shut down. And then the guy was like, hey, 
the train shut down. Get out. Then we got out the train. He's like, just kidding. It's working now. Get yeah. back on. <laughs> that literally happened to me once before on oh our train. It's, it's just, just. It's a lot to take in. It's a mess. New Don't come to New York problem, City. Yeah. Taurus, stay, go somewhere else this year until yeah. we get this sorted Let us out. This out. Who else yeah. do we have in the studio? Um, I'm here, I uh, guess. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just a figment of your imagination. Um, so I'm Alyssa Fuchs, and I'm your political and legal correspondent. I'm going to be telling you a lot of legal things today about, I don't know, gay wedding cakes and, um, Delicious. you know, Muslim bans. And, you know, I'm even going to give a lesson on uh, constitutional law. So it's going to be fun. I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys last weekend. I was at the Pride Parade. Uh, I don't, I don't think you missed us. You were having yeah. a blast at the Pride Parade. Honestly, it was the first time I'd ever watched the parade from start to finish. I've wow. been there 13 out of 14 of the past years. Um, I've always wow. jumped into the parade. Um, I've watched the parade for a little while and then gone out and had some drinks. But Wait, I've never 13 actu- of the past 14? So you've yeah. been I came out when I was life. 17. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's awesome. Um, so, <coughs> I mean, I actually like watched the whole parade this time. So that was really the first time I'd actually watched the whole parade from start to finish. It was eight hours long. Um, and it was really Oh, that great. sounds miserable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, towards the end, it started to get a little miserable. I don't yeah. stay, I don't, I stay for like an hour <laughs> at most at any parade. Yeah, the night don't... bounce. Well, no. I love large crowds and loud music, so. Really? Seriously. No yeah, idea. me too. That's so Selena unlike also you. also events that might get shot up, so that makes sense. I stopped going to those a long time uh, ago, Stanley. <laughs> anyway, guys, so welcome to the show. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk about social issues, politics, foreign policy, Jay-Z, and Beyonce, mm-hmm. and of course, we do that all from a millennial perspective today we have a great show lined up we're going to be talking about 444 that's right it's jay-z's 13th studio album that he dropped june 30th i don't know if you guys saw the marketing but like he had a lot of promo on taxi cabs and like and like um in my neighborhood on the upper east side he bought out like a whole storefront right yeah those, there I've were been those seeing as it well. in Brooklyn everywhere. Brooklyn, they definitely, yeah. he, you know, they did a really good rollout for 444. So we're going to talk about that. I mean, there was a, a deeper message about economic empowerment, capitalism, the black community, infidelity. I mean, there was a lot going on. So infidelity? there's infidelity. What did I say? Infidelity. I clearly said infidelity. Stop no, being fun of that. her, loser. Why would I stop being fun of her? That's you not know what? I don't know that we asked you to speak, so maybe just <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you You're had a your man, time with lemonade. So shut up. You know what? You got. <laughs> you know I did have my time on Lemonade. That's a really good You guys point. got into formation. I am now in Rock Nation. Respect. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Uh, I mean, God. I think some of the takeaway from that, which was respect women. So I think, if anything, you're on the opposite side of that coin exactly. now. I think the big takeaway was, if I cheat on you, forgive me. No. That was the, yes. If Jay-Z can cheat, why can't I? I think this was Marilyn, you listening to this? Marilyn, exactly. I hope you're listening to this right she now. She, we had a conversation the other day about how she actively does not listen to the show. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to get into... Anyway, so we're going <laughs> to talk about that. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be talking about LGBT issues. As Alyssa mentioned, the SCOTUS, uh, SCOTUS will be... Uh, taking up the case about the Colorado baker who refused to make a wedding cake for a same same sex couple. Um, so we'll also talk about that. And then uh, last but not least, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie rundown on the Muslim ban. Now, Donald Trump and the Trump administration has been talking about the latest uh, SCOTUS announcement as a victory for the Muslim ban. But Alyssa says it's not that cut or dry. 
No, it's not. I'll get into that a little more. But essentially, the Supreme Court hasn't even really ruled on the constitutionality of the Muslim ban. They have only decided that they are going to hear their the case. And in doing so, they decided um, to let the law partially go into effect um, while they receive briefs, legal briefs, of course, written documents explaining both of the parties' positions. I'll get into that more later on. Um, and then at some point in the future, next term, they will come to a full decision, at which point we will know exactly what's going on. Absolutely, guys. So again, if you want to let your voice be heard, call us up. The number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. I have internet connection on my laptop, so I'll be checking tweets there. And again, like we're definitely going to talk about uh, 444 after we take a quick break. After we take a Why quick break. <laughs> like that, Selena? All right, guys. So we'll be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I just got that cocaine on today. That's how you feel. Turn my vocal up. That's how you feel, Emery. Turn my vocal up some more. Turn my vocal up, girl. Oh, 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 oh. You doing oh, the vocals? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually some of the background vocals on the Oh, show. I heard you, Stanley. Yeah, and I saw your name in the credits. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you were featured on 444. Uh, um, on, actually on 556. But, <laughs> you know, maybe someday 444. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. Did you notice how I broke that down into three parts? Wait, no. Voice you heard, WACR, the voice of Harlem. Yes, I did. So, guys, I'm here with Selena Hill. She's hating on me already. I'm also here with Alyssa Fuchs. She's also loving me. And, of course, Jackie Cohen, who tried to kill me. Selena's by been hating on you Thursday night. Oh, oh, <laughs> Jackie, you when missed you started <laughs> a war. Yeah, it was. Oh, God. I apologize. <laughs> can, can, oh, God. I apologize. Can you also, say womanize. Over beat? I can if I wanted to. I'll, I'll anyway. Put on four, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now apologize. <laughs> <laughs> LOL, guys. All right, so we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR. Oh, Ma- yeah. Thank you, Stan. That's Stanley with the vocals and the background music. You're going to ad lib as well? Yeah. Thank you. I'm Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen. We are fully staffed. Uh, it hasn't Yay. been like that in a few weeks, but we are all here. It'll probably be understaffed again next week, huh? Right. <laughs> Pretty much. So we are live and in effect. And we're starting the show talking about 444. Now, 20 years ago, Jay-Z was a former drug dealer turned rapper. We know he was from Marcy Projects in Brooklyn. His first album, Reasonable Doubt, came out in 1996. It was a huge success. A classic, a classic album as well as that. And it basically helped him. It forged him uh, onto the path of becoming one of the most iconic rappers of all time. Now, if you guys have been studying Jay-Z, as people like Stanley have for the last 20 years, you know that a lot of his music was based on misogyny, a lot of homophobia, um, a lot, you know, he always talked about his past and, and dealing drugs. He talked about, you know, crime and violence. But, you know, when he dropped 444, it's like a new Jay-Z emerged. I mean, it's very age-appropriate, I think. He's 47 years old. He's a married He's man. He's 47? Yep. He's 47. We actually had to look that up yesterday because my friend and I were having a debate about it. How old did you think he was? Um, I said that he was in his early 40s. I thought he was like th- 43 or 44. Mm-hmm. And I actually 50. didn't realize how mm-hmm. young Beyonce was yeah. when they first started dating. I, I knew she was much younger than him, but I didn't realize he was almost 50. Yes, they are 12. They have a 12-year difference. Right. And... Um, 
um, yeah, so basically, so he dropped his new album, and it is a new resurgence of who Jay-Z is. I mean, he talks about a community, especially the black community. He talks about ownership. He talks about new genera- the new generation of rap and how rap has evolved, and he talks about that criticism. He talks about um, apologizing for infidelity. I mean, we heard what happened with Lemonade when Beyonce dropped that album back in 2016. She told it all. All yeah. about their marital issues. Becky with the good hair. I mean, she did not hold back. She was not sorry. And Jay-Z came back and responded. And he said, I am. I am sorry. What? That was so corny. No, it, Stanley, <laughs> no, it wasn't. First Selena of all, that was off the cuff. Selena just tried to hit me. <laughs> I did try to say Stanley really quickly. But anyway. (laughs) Assault, assault. Well, well, speaking of assault, he also talked about. You're about to get Solange in the elevator, Stanley. Hold on, because you're bringing up too many points right now. Because he talked about Solange, too. So he talked about assault. He talked about um, how he had a violent past. We know that he has, you know, assaulted record producers in the past. And, you know, he was, I think that happened, um, I forget the year. I think it was late 90s. 2000. 2000. And he stabbed a uh, record producer producer right. and he, he talks about that he also talks <laughs> about shooting his brother when he was 12 right. years old you i must mean love me great song yeah and as Alyssa talked about he talked about solange now we all remember that epic fight that happened in the elevator where solange attacked him beyonce stood on the side and jay-z just basically took those hits yeah and he said in this album i egged her on right all i had to do was say i'm wrong but I egg Solange on. And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, right. Like, this man is, you know, I just appreciate him for taking ownership, for apologizing, and for just revealing and being the most transparent we have ever seen him. And I think that the messages that he was really, really digging at on, on this album is something that will resonate for a long time. And it resonates with people, whether you're a hip-hop head or not, whether you're 18 years old or 48 years old, a lot of things that jay-z was talking about um transcends a lot of that so i definitely want to start this segment off by opening up to the panel getting your initial reactions to 444 and then talking about some of those messages that were deeply ingrained into this album i'll start off with stanley and you could also give us a little history because we know that jay-z is your favorite rapper of all time how did you know (laughs) (laughs) We had a very fiery debate in here last week because someone whose name should not be mentioned said that Lil Uzi Vert was better than Jay-Z. Our uh, guest last uh, week, uh, uh, Joshua, <laughs> said that he was anticipating Lil Uzi Vert's album more than Jay-Z. And he said that Jay-Z is washed up. Then I said, how old are you? And he was like, I'm 24. And okay. I said, this, this is the new generation of rap. Several people on Facebook Live and then afterwards told me to never invite him to the show again <laughs> <laughs> in response to well, that Well, what does comment. Jay-Z mean to you, Dan? So I, I first want to do one quick course correction. So Reasonable Doc came out in 97, and it actually was not a very successful album. It did go, eventually go two times platinum. Say not at the time. Yeah, but not but like at the time, that A, that wasn't really impressive. And then B, Biggie Smalls, Nas, and a lot of these other rappers were much bigger than right. Jay-Z. Jay-Z actually didn't start becoming big until after Biggie died because when Biggie died it left this vacuum in New York City and then that's when Jay-Z started to rise up and really get the attention that he deserves so that that's just one quick correction on that one then of course it says release date June 25th 96 okay well I stand corrected okay keep going Selena went to her Google gods to help her yeah right so I, I knew what I was talking about go down. ahead go ahead Stanley yeah so um 
you know, this is a very, very, very different Jay-Z album. What a lot of people who don't listen to his music tend to think is, oh, Jay-Z is super shallow. He doesn't talk about anything but more money, more cash, more what. But if you listen to his albums, he's always had two or three cuts that are very personal, right. that are very revealing, that talk about things deeper than just what's going on. Um, go back to All the Way to Reasonable Doubt. He talks about the evils. Um, you Must Love Me on Volume 1. That's just like, this, this is the way that he's always been musically. And 444 is, it's like, you must love me and the evils for the entire album. Just a completely, just like giving, being 100% open and honest with himself. And it was amazing. And I walked away really happy with it, besides the fact that like it was a very open album, because Jay-Z has walked around as, as like this god who was untouchable and unfeeling and uncaring mm-hmm. for so long. And now he's like, no, I'm human. I'm scared. I'm afraid to lose somebody. And he literally oh. talks about that. I he does. Like. Hold on, guys. If you guys do want to call in, the phone lines are now open. You can call in at 212-650-6903. Thank you so much for tuning in. And again, that number is 212-650-6903. Jackie? No, I, I was impressed by that, I think, that not only is he so open, but he talks about his, like, sort of exterior throughout time and how he's had to break that down and now how you know like I think that Selena hit the nail on the head by saying that this is like an age appropriate like mature album he talks about his kids he talks about infidelity he talks about things that he's done and things that he's seen and where he is now and Mm -hmm. why he's like changed his mind and sort of his his um, persona now to be this like adult father husband you know role model for people so um, I think he even talks about that in one of his songs like you know how do I address like kids that grew up loving me right like it's I, I was impressed with it and he still raps better than everybody even when yeah. he's not trying that hard because the flow is very 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 basic in this album like, he wasn't yeah, really right. But, like, if you're listening to it, like, he's barring people up. Right. No, I actually, I thought it was a good album. Um, I thought some of it was socially conscious. I thought other stuff in it. Some of it wasn't. (laughs) Some of it wasn't. Um, I thought some of it was very much what I'll call inside baseball. Like, there was stuff that he was trying to address between him and his family and his wife. Um, Some of which we are privy to because of Lemonade and because we are, you know. Nosy. Yeah, and because we're nosy. Exactly, about what goes on. Um, But other stuff, like even seemed like he was talking uh, to his friends and to potentially to Beyonce about stuff that we're not really right. exactly knowing what's going on um, to the point where some of the things I think even went over my head a little bit because I was like, I, I don't think I'm in on that um, portion. And then I think some of it was also addressed to himself, yeah. um, including the first track um, where he's trying to convince himself that old Jay-Z doesn't exist anymore, that he's had to evolve. Um, And then I thought, which I know we're going to get into a little more later on, there was some of it that was sort of like very pro-capitalist. And it's interesting to me um, to hear that kind of pro-capitalism, especially given that capitalism has subjugated people of color for so long. And I know that's something we really do want to address in more detail later on in the segment, so I won't get too far ahead of myself. Um, But my initial thought on the album in in sum and summary is that I thought it was good. Um, It's not my favorite Jay-Z album. Really? No. Not at all? No. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you so much for that, Alyssa. So, again, guys, if you guys want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. So some of the tracks on this album definitely speak to a larger uh, larger societal issues, right? You had the story of OJ, which, in addition to releasing an audio version, he released a visual. And the graphics in this video, and, and even just the, 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 the lyrics that he's talking about, um, is, are, they're deep. 
He talks about racism. He's talking about colorism. And he's just really going in to to slavery. I mean, uh, in the in the video, you see um, what looked like a, a sort of like a depiction of Josephine Baker on the stage. You see people, slaves in the field picking cotton. And you see um, you also see people like on a corner and like, you know, like hustlers standing on the corner and it looks like he's talking to them and he's like you guys are killing each other over a block that your mother is renting and like where's the logic in that so it was really deep like stanley what did you think um in particular about the story of oj well before i talk i just want to let that ride real quick so first of all the song is amazing the video is just as good it, this is this is nothing new as far as what he's talking about. If you've ever been on the block and you talk to like one of the old heads there, these are the things that, that they say. You talk to a pastor, this is what the, he or she says. You talk to, to anybody, this is what they say. So it, it wasn't very surprising. One, I thought it was important because there's never been someone at his level as an artist with his much with as much power as he has and cachet as he has that said it and that honestly it'll be listened to and that song in particular was pretty much just like a financial blueprint that was crazy like it was so good is that the song where there's the line about Jews owning all the yeah property yes, yes, in America? The Jews, the Do we have time to talk about that? Absolutely, really Jackie. So that was like an interesting, um, interesting line. It's like not. Like, I saw a lot of response from it. That was well, like, the line that you're talking yeah. about in it, he's basically making a point and he's saying, do you know why Jews own so much of America? It's, it's because of the, credit. All the, all the real estate. It's because right. of credit. This is how they did so it. So this is like an interesting, like an interesting debate that I've been seeing um, had on like social media, certainly, and one that I was having in my own Jewish household last night, um, where a lot of people were upset by it, and they were like, oh, J.C. Sandy is Semitic. Like, how could he say oh, that? I didn't see it that way at all. I, I didn't see it that way at all, and I think it's important to talk about that because I think it can be misconstrued. I think that it plays on an anti-Semitic stereotype, for sure. One that can be dangerous when like folks like Steve Bannon uses it, but I don't think Jay-Z is anti-Semitic. In fact, he recorded i saw um a psa an anti anti-semitism psa with russell simmons back in 2006 to encourage people not to be anti-semitic before so, we continue the conversation yeah. i actually have the clip of what he says you wanna, i want to play that to get some context for people who yeah heard yeah it yet. that'd be great yeah definitely we can play that now you ever wonder why jewish people own all the property in america that's how they did it financial freedom my only hope living rich and dying broke Right. So thank you for just adding that context. And the line before that, he's saying, do you he talks about how a lot of rappers boast about throwing all this money away in a strip club. And he says, do you know what's more important in throwing away money in a strip club? It's credit. credit. And that's financial, exactly, like, and, um, right. independence. And that's exactly what the right. message was. But the thing is, Jackie and I had a conversation offline and I think. What I initially said was that it was stereotypical. And I think that like all stereotypes uh, whether they're about Jewish people, whether they're about black people, Latinos, they, they're always problematic. And mm-hmm. I think that not every stereotype has as much power, obviously, because the stereotypes against black and brown people right. hurt the most and, uh, and basically have disenfranchised those communities more. But it's still a stereotype. But I do get the bigger picture he was making. I want to get Alyssa's response to that, that lyric in particular. Did you find yeah, it offensive? No, I didn't find it offensive. Yeah. I actually think it made a lot of sense. I mean, what he's, I mean, listen, you have to remember, Jewish people have also been subjugated for a long time. We've talked about 
about that. I'm not going to go into detail on that. But what he's really saying there is since the Holocaust, right, since the 1940s, which is within under 100 years, Jewish people who essentially had nothing, some of whom were in concentration camps, have accumulated generational wealth um, and have been able to pass things on to their children. And he's saying that, like, they've done that in some ways by not spending frivolously and by making investments. And I thought it's an overgeneralization. It is an overgeneralization. I want to push back for a second because Jay-Z comes from Brooklyn and this is the same guy who pretty much his neighborhood, most of the ownership out there is Jewish ownership. So I think that's what he's talk- talking about when he says that. Right. And I'm not saying it's true for everybody, but I think like I think that he does make a good like there is truth to the fact that Jewish people have accumulated in some cases generational wealth in over a very short period of time. And that has to do with the way in which um, they have treated money. I, and just to get a aside from that for a second, because I thought the really important thing about this song, the story of OJ, is I really saw it speaking more to white people in some ways than it did to speak to black people in terms of the song Family Feud. Whereas the way I interpreted this song is white people have to understand that no matter how high Jay-Z has gotten, no matter how much money he's made, he's still looked at as black. And that when you're Mm. black, people are always going to look at you as black. Whereas I saw the contrast to that in the song Family Feud, I saw him speaking more to black people about we need to stop killing our each other and we need to figure out how to work together to have black owned businesses to create the kind of generational wealth that we want black people to have. Interesting um, concept there, Alyssa. We do have to go to a break, but don't worry. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation about the story of OJ and of course the entire album 444. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. what you selling? <laughs> Title. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are talking about 444. Before we went on break, Alyssa gave a great point about how uh, the story of OJ resonated with her. She said it sounds like he was really talking to white people about that. Jackie, as a white person, what's your response? <laughs> as a white person, right? Um, no, I was saying off air that I think that's an interesting perspective but i also think like for you know i said to Alyssa, like you're a white person and this resonated with you so that's like one perspective but i don't know that that was necessarily his intention but i would agree to that i don't think that jay was talking to white people about all this album particularly this song uh i think i think the reason it resonates with Alyssa is because she's someone who's willing to listen and take in information and i think that like she was in a space where she could take like the, the gems from the song so like it's it was more personalized, but generally, and maybe that's why I think it's just for black people like that he's speaking to us in particular. But I I don't I would disagree with that. But I would say that like yeah he's dropping a lot of gems in here I think, and I'm interested to see because one of the things I was talking to um Selena about yesterday is that when Jay Z puts an album out he moves the needle of hip hop, and we talked about some of the ways he's moved the needle with jerseys in 2003 to 2004 everybody had on jerseys and white tees and then he says and I don't wear jerseys I'm I'm 30 plus give me a fresh Fresh pair of jeans. And a button-up. As thoughts on my feet make the look complete. What more can I say? Guru play the bleat, the beat. And then all of a sudden, Jersey sales plummeted. And then he did the same thing with that, the auto-tune. He did the same thing with the um the BMWs. We X-Files. We, we give, give them the baby, baby mamas. mamas. 
What do we no. think it's going to be after this? Hopefully financial freedom. But yeah. Right. But it, I was going to say, you want to jump no. in there? I was, but that's the thing. Like, this whole album in some way speaks to capitalism, it which is a point that, that we wanted to talk point. about, right? And I was thinking about this a lot when I was listening to the album, which is capitalism is a system that has subjugated people of color for all time. In fact, slavery itself was based on the fact that slave owners and plantation owners did not want to um, pay people to pick cotton because it was cheaper to own slaves to do it because that meant that they could make more money and put more money in their pocket. And that's how slave owners develop generational wealth. So to have Jay-Z sort of flip that on its script now and be talking about how black people um, should embrace capitalism and should use that as a way to have black owned businesses. And he has a line where he says, why am I drinking Belvedere when my friend Puff Daddy, who's a black person owns Ciroc I should sorry Diddy Daddy I don't even know what it is anymore I can't Sean Combs okay how about that that's his name Um, so I thought that was a really interesting contrast is like his embrace of capitalism in as a way to bring black people out of subjugation when for so long capitalism has been the subjugator and been the oppressor of people of color so I was hoping to get your reaction uh, Stanley to that yeah, so thank you for that, Alyssa, because I know Selena wanted to say something and she was going to win that battle. Yeah. But <laughs> so, listen, white people have benefited off of capitalism for yeah. forever. I want my piece of the pie. Actually, I want a whole pie. And I'm, I might take yours, too, just to be petty. I'm, I'm totally with them because as much as we want to move away from capitalism, it's going to take a long time to do that. And while we're fighting that fight, I want to see more black financial prosperity. And I think it's a big deal that like he shouts out Diddy and his and Ciroc, when he and Diddy are in the same race to reach a billion. So he didn't have to do that. And I think that's the way we need to be thinking about supporting well, each other. That's like part of what I was talking about in terms of the song Family Feud, where he says, like, what's better to have one person who's a billionaire who's the same color skin as you is to have two people, He's right? talking about his twins. Is to, oh, he is. Well, yeah. Or he could be talking about uh, Beyonce because together, collectively, right. they own, uh, they're worth about $1 billion. But speaking but speaking about Family Feud, like, and I absolutely agree with Stanley about, like, this album is all about financial freedom and economic empowerment for black people if we have we have to remember that jay-z is a boy that came out of marcy projects he grew up in poverty and he didn't see a lot he didn't own a lot but he worked his way up the american dream worked for Mm jay-z and what he's telling everybody else is yeah this game is dirty but you need to get in the game if you want to win this game. And that's what he's saying. And I know that a, a large part of the resistance is capitalism doesn't work and it particularly doesn't work for black and brown people. Jay-Z is proof that it does if you do it in this way, if you invest, if well, you buy art. I want to push you... back. I want to push back on that because how many people in grant houses right now have money to buy art? I I think that what Jay-Z I don't know if he's saying necessarily that the system works. I think what he's saying is that we can build power with our money. Now, the system the system is rigged, and it's rigged to yeah. help white people and people with a lot of money. But let me rephrase that. The system is rigged to, to keep rich people rich, and it's a little bit easier for white people to move up than, than everybody else. I don't think that Jay-Z is under any illusion that the system is working in pe- people, people of color's favor. But what he is saying is that we can enrich ourselves in our own communities if we start our own businesses, we invest in black businesses, we buy our blocks up the way that like a lot of other people have done. That's the way you do it. No, I mean, absolutely. I agree with that. Do you want to jump no, in? No. I was just, I was gonna, I was gonna say I agree with that. It's just like so interesting to me because there's so many grassroots groups on the ground, in particular here in New York, but in other places also, and especially on the left, and uh, that are become a rising as part of the resistance movement that are pushing a very 
anti-capitalist message uh, for the most part. And for example, like I'll give you a perfect example. When a lot of the ca- uh, corporate sponsors pulled out of the Puerto Rican Day Parade, um, a lot of brown and black people that are Puerto Rican were happy about that. They said, we don't want that corporate sponsorship in the Puerto Rican Day Parade. We talked about that. Um, we're going to talk about gay rights during the next segment. There was a, a, 11 arrests during the Pride Parade. And the 11 arrests were people of color that sat down and said, we don't want the cops and we don't want the banks and the corporations in our Pride Parade because we're not trying to perpetuate capitalism, which is a system that subjugates us. Um, and so that is why I think this is such an interesting point. And while I agree with you that it's great to have black owned businesses, to have people trying to get the American dream, there still is obviously a political uh, issue and a political ideology in terms of the resistance movement and in terms of anti-capitalist and pro-liberal and progressive forces and the message that is being sent here. So I just think that is an interesting contrast. And obviously, I, I don't take a position either way. I like the album. I think yeah. the album has important themes and perpetuates important messages. But I also think there's some kind of I don't want to call it hypocrisy, but irony in this conversation. I'll say irony. I wouldn't say hypocrisy because Jay-Z has never won against anti-capitalism. Right. But the same people fighting capitalism still have to live somewhere and eat food. That's so true. So they work. So they feed into the system of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better to fight against capitalism in an organization that's black-owned? Yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely. Um, Jackie, did you have? All right, guys. No, so so that's true. Uh, black empowerment, uh, economic empowerment. That's definitely one of the larger issues that uh, people of color are definitely advocating for. Um, even in the social social justice movement itself, because a lot of advocates say that if we own more, then we can do more. And they also, you know, they look back to when we had things like Black Wall Street and when there was segregation, and that's why and how we started up HBCUs. And you have advocates that are continuing to say that if we didn't have integration, black people would be self-sustaining. Well, let me... No, 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 no. I know that's not what you're saying, and you're just saying what other people are saying, right. but let's reject that notion right. off the rip right now, because integration makes black and brown schools, black and brown students stronger. That's one. And then two, segregation. I don't want to romanticize segregation in any way, shape, or form. I think that what's happened, because like we've had like more diverse communities and more diverse businesses, it is harder to build a stronghold that is specifically black, run and black-led, and also because black people have been denied loans, financial support, or even the opportunity to start businesses is why. Right. But so like if we address those issues, you have strong black businesses. Right. And that's why people say we should continue to support black banks so that people so black business owners can get those loans and be self-sustaining right. in that way. And just real quick, I would encourage folks if they're interested to check out our show from a few weeks ago where we talk about integration in schools, especially in New York, which is the third most segregated city in America, um, which is where Jay-Z is from. Absolutely. Alyssa, quickly. Yeah, no. And obviously criminal justice reform plays into that. We talked about this in terms of like marijuana legalization in places like Colorado and how difficult it is for people of color to get those kinds of permits because people have criminal records due to the war on drugs, which has obviously subjugated people of color. So these are all themes that he touches on in the album. I think that's important that we don't lose focus on that. And, you know, all of these themes are so important. And this is a question that I asked uh, to Stanley offline yesterday. I said, will this album resonate with younger millennials the people that need to hear it and I gave an example and I said you know five years ago ten years ago I wasn't trying to invest. I didn't own any stock. I wasn't thinking about buying my buying a, our business or, or buying my own home. I didn't care about this stuff. I wanted to turn up and to have fun. And the special guest commentator that we had on last week said that Jay-Z's washed up. He doesn't speak to me, our generation. And he said the new generation of rap is all
all about positivity. And what it sounds like is that they don't really want to be preached to. Now, Jay-Z is a 47-year-old man. He can literally be the father of some of the of some of these new rappers like little Uzi Vert, like little Yachty, and who 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 these rappers, when they talk about money, they're taking stacks of money and they're holding it to their ear. And Jay-Z particularly called them out and we said... We don't call that money over here. Exactly. Yeah. So he said that's not real well, money. But, but the question is, can Jay-Z and this album reach the younger people, especially people of color? Because I think the messages are very important. And if they got this earlier and quicker, then they can start to build their own empowerment. Well, it's like, you know, here's the thing. Talk about reaching the youth. Like, the, the youth need to pay attention to the fact that it's not all about this fun and money and stuff. Like, there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. But just to get on that point, like, hip-hop really starts with Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, right? And in the song The Message, he was talking about really things that were going on outside his neighborhood you know there's there's a homeless lady living out of a bag there's people pissing in the stairwell i can't take the smell i can't take the noise i gotta get out of here right and like that resonated with people at the time now it's all about like oh what happens when i get out and i make money but at the end of the day like this is part of the problem with hip-hop is people used to actually talk about things that were important even as recently as 2005 like Kanye was talking about really important things and then he started talking about I don't know because he went off the deep end so I think like <laughs> I don't think rappers should have to come down to the level of what the kids want to hear I think the kids need to come up and hear that hip hop that is conscious yeah. of what's going on in the world but, and not just like let's make some money and throw it around but at the, at the strip same club time, Interesting. Kids, like young people today are at a huge financial disadvantage that maybe older generations haven't been right so like young people today are being told that they have to go to college they have to graduate to college uh, from college if they want to amount to anything and then they go to college they can't afford to and then they leave with a hundred thousand dollars in debt a hundred thousand dollars i mean student loan debt we've talked about this on the show before is higher than credit card debt in this country you can't default on it so like i kind of understand like i think that this album is great and i think it's great to have this message but i also think like to think oh young people aren't going to resonate with this like young people have tremendous financial burdens right now that they are dealing also with. Young, Jackie, can you yeah. please so that? like we as young Thank people, you. as Thank very, very young millennials, you yes. know. But like it's true. Like it's something that you can't ignore. Like there is an older generation that does not understand the financial hardship that young people are going through in this country today. And that's so if young people don't resonate with this album fully, I, I feel them. So two things. One, we're young. Well, three things, I, so I said younger millennials in particular, know, meaning the 90s babies. Jackie's been saying young people. and I was But also, I'm talking about like 23-year-olds that just graduated Ugh. from college that have $100,000 in debt to their name with interest that they have to pay back that will take them forever to pay back because forever, they were told ever. that they had to go to college to amount to anything and yeah. now can't do anything. Well, we went to college and now, you know. I mean, I know so many people personally that are in that position, right? Yeah. That like took the, on this debt and now can't buy a house. And like you hear from older generations like, oh, this is why like our generations were better because we had houses and we were investing and blah, blah, blah. And millennials just buy avocado toast and they don't care about like owning wealth or whatever. They have VA loans. So Young Thug, speaking of young, has already gone on on um, Instagram and thank Jay-Z for his line about being more inclusive. So uh, actually to respond to you, Alyssa, when you were saying that, you know, um, that like, we don't have, like, I guess to respond to Selena about young people not listening to this, they're listening. So Young Thug, who has gotten a lot of criticism for like his flamboyant attitude, his last album cover was him in like a ballroom dress and a, and a, and a bucket hat. A lot of people didn't like those things. <laughs> I, I he He's actually a good rapper when he's speaking English. <laughs> So, you know, I tend to listen to him from time to time. He he was interested. He liked it. And then also, there's two things that we need to think about. One, 
rappers are still conscious just because you guys don't necessarily listen to it as everyone yeah. here knows like I've taken a lot of music we have a lot of good young rappers yeah. with good messages Vic Mensa who's talking about like growing up in Chicago and like dealing with all those issues you have um, oh, I'm gonna say Drake Chance the oh, Rapper Ch- Chance the yeah. Rapper yeah, J. Like, Cole Big yeah. Sean Kendrick Lamar Kendrick uh, yeah. like the number one rapper in the world right now is a conscious rapper Just and just the, the last thing that I wanna sorry no, no it's okay it's okay the, the, just the last thing that I want to bring into this piece right here is that if you want to hear more conscious rap, pay for it. Right? Yeah. No. Well, no, no, you know, absolutely. no, no that, that's a great point, Stanley. And I, I wanted to, and we're gonna have to end here. Last point: the resurgence of socially conscious rap because these, the prominent artists that we just talked about, they weren't always the mainstream top five artists being played on the radio, and they still have to compete with people like Future, who just talk about Pop and Molly, mask off, mask, mask on, and mask off. But regardless, to say that, like. Even Kendrick Lamar has a line in one of his songs where he says, how'd you let a conscious rapper go mainstream? Even he seems a little shocked at this phenomenon that in the last few years, maybe two to three, maybe five, you've seen more uh, you've seen more conscious rappers become mainstream. Stanley's right. They've always been around, but they weren't always getting the best plays during peak radio hours. Can I just so, jump in for one second? Well, it's okay. a real quick point. J. Cole's number one song is Crooked Smile that talks about self-love and like don't be ashamed of your looks. That came out five years ago. Exactly. And I said pushing back to five years. But before that, I think that there was a big span where people like myself were saying, what happened to conscious rap? Like I miss when Tupac was talking about the black of the berry, the sweet of the juice. And I miss when Biggie Smalls was talking about how he grew up in the projects and everything. Like there was, I think there was a big span when I turned on the radio, I was not hearing these messages in the mainstream. Stream. So the question is, how do you feel about this resurgence of conscious rap? Right. I think it's good that it's becoming more mainstream. And I think that touches on what you were saying is like that conscious rap has never gone away. But for a while, I feel like it sort of went underground. And a lot of the more um, fun, hip hop, you know, go to go to the strip club, hang out kind of rap was really, really big for a while in this point in time between 2005 and like 2000 and I want to say 13, 14. And then in 2014, I feel like we started to have a lot more socially conscious rap becoming more mainstream. Hip-hop has always been political. That's a thing that you should never forget. Hip-hop has always been political. It's always been about storytelling, about telling people what's going on in the neighborhood. And I think when hip-hop got away from that is when I really started to tune it out. And now I'm very glad personally to see hip-hop go back in that direction and for that political hip-hop to be mainstream again and i hope it stays that way but like stanley points out if we want it to stay that way then we have to pay for it again we do live in a capitalist society whether we like that or not and people aren't going to be able to make money if you're downloading jay-z's album and stealing it off the internet thank you for that Alyssa. i know that we are wrapping up this segment jackie before we do i want to get your closing comments on the message that 444 uh which message from 44 really resonated with you um i think uh, it could be anything it could oh be man fidelity it could be smile it could be well i think anything. not so much the infidelity although i you know <laughs> i think we all knew that he was going to address it because he would be like the Beehive would come after him if he didn't i guess but i think overall the message that like you can be an a complicated you know interesting person right you can be a complicated person and you can atone for your sins and you can do things that you know are not right and apologize and seek forgiveness and you know the the acknowledgement of that within jay-z i thought was really impressive exactly and stanley i know that we're wrapping up the segment um 
this album, obviously you've been listening to Jay-Z for the last 20 plus years. Um, tell us, is this your favorite album, favorite Jay-Z album, why or why not? And what do you hope this album really does to push the culture? It's way too early to say what kind of where this album ranks for me as like favorite okay. or like top. It's just way too early. It hasn't even been a week yet, so I can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. I think it's Jay Z's most revealing album, and I really appreciate it. And it feels like a big brother talking to me, giving me advice when I listen to it. If there's three big takeaways, I wanna I want people to take from this album. The first one, and I'm gonna play the song as we like go to the break, is tolerance. Jay Z rapped about his seventy something year old mother coming out the closet as a gay woman. Hip-hop is aggressively homophobic, and we have a lot more artists now who are embracing their sexuality and being more fluid, but they get a lot of criticism for it. That's one of the biggest pieces of criticism for new rappers, and Jay-Z just came out and embraced his mother, who is like a black gay woman. And I think that is very important. That is very powerful for a community that still has a lot of misplaced aggression towards people in that group. Um, And then just for, for men... You can't like you can't heal something unless you like you deal with it, and I think you you don't hear that from your music anymore, and you definitely don't hear that from your heroes because our heroes, male heroes, are super strong and they have no emotion and they just drink and have sex with a bunch of women, and now he's saying I want to take care of my family and like unpack myself. So that's that. Those were the three messages for mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much, Stanley, for that. And I just want to wrap things off by saying in 2012, Harry Belafonte called out Jay-Z and Beyonce. He said that they abandoned, they neglected their responsibility to social consciousness. And the reason why Harry Belafonte called them out was because of the amount of influence that they had even in 2012. But he said, according to them, you're not using it to push anything but album sales. And your own bottom line. Five years later, we have Jay-Z coming out again, talking about the LGBT community and being more inclusive. We have him almost shoving down our throats a a message of financial freedom and ownership so much that I'm like, I'm never I honestly, I honestly, God don't ever want to be a renter in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to save up and get this condo and this co-op. And part of the reason is because I'm looking at Jay-Z. Like, five years later, you have Jay-Z coming out talking about, you know, slavery, talking about colorism, and just and also being the most transparent that we have ever seen him, where he said, you know what, I'm not a hero. And if my kids ever saw the real person that I was, I would be ashamed. But you know what, Jay-Z, by him being that open and vulnerable, he has just empowered a generation of people. The ones like Stanley, who grew up almost in that same neighborhood, not too far away from Marcy Projects. East New York. Thank you for that, Brooklyn. But, you know, people like Stanley who said that there's hope, you know, and there's other so many there's so many other kids right now, Marcy Projects, who are saying I can make it too. The American dream isn't that far. And these are some of the steps that I can take in order to get there. He even talks to drug dealers. He says, you know what? If you're going to deal drugs, use that illegal money to buy legal things like ownership, like the block, like community centers and build up your communities. Give back to your communities. The last word I want to say is just thank you, Jay-Z. We know you killed yourself or your ego in the first song of 444. But after he killed that ego on 444... That whole album is just about being a better self, being true to yourself, and using your influence for the better good of humanity. And that's something that we can all appreciate. On that note, we are going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We're jumping right into some of our favorite news stories of the week during the News Roundup. 
agora. Stanley me. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. Yes, I am. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Jackie Cohen, Alyssa Fuchs, and of course, the immaculate Selena Hill, the queen of black enterprise, also (laughs) goes on six vacations every seven days. First of all, those are work. I'm working when I leave, Sandy. Yes, yes, yes. Really? You're working so hard at Disney World. And <laughs> I was working <laughs> at Disney World. No, she's working for a condo. Yes. Oh, guys, I wanted to let you guys know that. I And I'm an investor now. I finally invested. I have a diverse portfolio in stocks. Real estate, oh corporate God. bonds, government somewhere, bonds. Let me just tell you, somewhere I, I learned from the best. Ben, ben is listening to this somewhere, like so proud of you right now. Mm. I'm just telling you. Thank yeah. you, guys. I mean, listen, I was able to get my last apartment without a cosigner or a guarantor because I included the information on the investments that I own. Nice. Mm. That's awesome. I got a long way to go, though. You know <laughs> which, by the Selena. way, my grandfather bought for me, which speaks to why I think that line in that song speaks to me. Right. Absolutely. You know what's more important, throwing money on shippers? Credit. No investments. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, we just finished talking about Jay-Z's new album, 444, and we had a lot of great conversations about it. But, obviously, there's more show to be had, and we have more conversations to have. And in this section of the conversation, we are talking about the news. Yes, the news roundup. That's what we call it. Where we talk about our favorite news stories that happened throughout the week. Things that made us laugh cry turn on twitter or maybe just start retweeting all sorts of things that people from morning joe were saying because (laughs) hey they mattered for the first 10 minutes of the morning on friday and guys because i want to start this conversation off because i am just the littest of the lits i figured i would do it and because i've been talking about nba stuff recently i just want to say and no one in here will care except for me that paul george got traded to the oklahoma city thunder no but why do you care though because it's basketball, and I thought he was going to the Lakers. I thought it was more important that Phil Jackson got fired. Yes. Because we're actually yes. in New York City. Oh, actually, Congrats, yes. New York. Thank Talk about God. that. Phil Jackson got fired. No am, more triangle offense. I am, oh my God, I'm so happy he's So wh- that's a good thing. That's a great thing. He's horrible. He's gotten us a whole bunch of bad players. He had us running the triangle offense, even though no one on the team knew how to run it, and everyone hated it. He was talking crap about players in all of his press conferences. He would fall asleep at practices. Oh, and you mean was, so it's kind of like the president? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, w- I would never disrespect Phil Jackson like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Phil Jackson at least knows how to read a complete sentence. Fair enough. I saw a picture that somebody tweeted of Phil Jackson. I, I don't think it was like this week, but it was a picture of Phil Jackson sitting on an M7 bus. And it was like Phil Jackson <laughs> leaving New York on the M7. <laughs> That's hilarious. Don't worry. Yeah. There'll be a train delay, a bus breakdown, signal a problems, a derailment. Never come back, Phil Jackson. Yeah. Well, well, okay, so we can go two directions. We can talk about tweets, and we can talk about derailments well, right here. Well, let's real quick talk about the train derailment. And if okay. you were on that train or, you know, were fed up with the MTA this week or your train service, you can call us tweet in. Or at, tweet at Governor Cuomo. Yeah, tweet at Governor MTA. Cuomo or call us and, you know, share your story yeah. at 212 um, So an A train derailed in Harlem this week. Funny Stanley story. Stanley was on it. How'd you know? Hilariously. Yeah, so I was on that A train that derailed um, earlier like, this what week. what else is new, really? So I was, I was sitting in a train and, like, you know, minding my business. And, like, I like to listen to a podcast while I'm, walk, like, while I'm on a train. All right, But chat. that morning I wanted to read. So right, I was, like, turning off the podcast and all of a sudden, like, the train just jolts really hard. Yeah. And, like, we know the trains always jolt. But, like, this was, like, one well, that. This but, one, I mean, this sent 
dozens of people to the hospital. There were 34 people injured, and one woman was really injured, and she's suing the MTA for $5 million. Yeah, and people keep messaging me that I should sue them. Um, But um, it jolted really hard. I almost fell out of my seat, actually. And then there was some kids standing, so I looked over, and, like, they were, like, shaking up. You felt the train slam into something, and then it just got completely dark. And the That's AC went really off. That's really scary. And like the train, half of the train was like, I was in the front cart, so half of the cart was peeking out of 125th Street, and everything else was like just in the tunnel. And I was in that area. The train got completely dark, and people were just looking at us confused. And then the guy that was standing by the door, he, you could tell he was panicking. He was trying to open up the doors. Yeah. It got quiet for about five to ten minutes, and then the conductor got on the line. It was like, oh my God, is everyone okay? We're coming to check on you. And then we didn't know what happened because we got the least, like we got, we didn't get the the brunt of the. The right. crash there. So like everyone's confused, like what's like what's wrong? And she's like, We're gonna check on you. Then they came in our cart and they're like, Is everyone okay? Does anyone need medical attention? Wow. And I'm like, Whoa, what is happening? Yeah, the person passed out on the floor who can't answer you probably does, but you know, let's yeah. just ask everybody. Well, so something really scary to me, and full disclosure, I I at my day job I'm a transit advocate. So this was obviously something taking up a lot of my time this week was talking about this issue and you know how to prevent it from happening again. Um but something really concerning to me was that eight hundred people just left the train yeah and that's super dangerous anyone in new york listening there's a third rail that can electrocute you and kill you so don't just jump off the train if this happens unless you uh, you know unless like the unless train the f- is filling up with smoke which did happen in some of the cars it, it did i was gonna say how do you know there's not a fire so it's like you know this is one of those hard yeah, things that just i don't people don't know what to do in a train emergency either because it's like my first thing would be like if i saw smoke i think there's a fire right. i want to get the heck out of there right absolutely. but at the same time as jackie points out you evacuate onto the tracks you could end up getting electrocuted. And like the MTA locks those those doors in between, so you can't even get to a better cart. I mean, listen, th- this all just comes down to the f- bigger issue, which is the fact that we are literally running on an infrastructure system that was built in the 1930s. Joe Lotus said it. We're not even running on analog. We're running on mechanical. Yeah. This is something that needs an investment. And for the governor to come out after the derailment and say, we need a billion dollar uh, uh, investment and we need to do an, uh, a governor's executive order on on how we need to declare a state of emergency on the subways. This is a state of emergency that needed to be declared like five years ago. Where has the MTA been? Where has the governor been for the past five years? Cutting well, the funding every the year. The service keeps declining. The subway system is dilapidated. We're running on signals that have go back to the 1930s, and yet they keep raising the fares on us on top of all of well, this. Well, they have $40 billion in debt to pay. So. Right. So, well, you know what? They need to figure this out. No, and I, that's what exactly what I wanted to point to. There's an ongoing campaign, hashtag fix the MTA, because ah. it's that it's such a big deal. And Jackie was actually featured on New York One. What show was it that you were featured on? On Errol? Road to City Hall with Errol Lewis. Right, so um, you were talking about this issue. What are some of the solutions But since you do this day-to-day? Yeah, well, I think that there's, a, I mean, replacing aging infrastructure is is you know, key here, right? Like Alyssa said, I mean, this is a very old subway system that was built in the, you know, it opened, I think, in 1904. We're using signals that date back to the 1930s that are cloth covered, not, you know, computer-based train control, which is what... um, what we should what everybody else has and should be using um and i mean the mta we have the biggest subway system one of the biggest subway systems in the world the biggest one in north america i mean there needs to be a stable funding stream to help um the mta plan more you know there needs it we're like running on austerity budgets right now they're basically just doing the bare minimum so we have to choose do we like keep things you know working in an okay manner or do we build more unless we have a huge increase in funding i think so there's a lot that could be done, but the governor definitely needs to put his priorities, 
you know, set them straight and invest more in, in public infrastructure. This is absolutely Governor Cuomo's fault. Let's be very clear about that. He's been cutting the MTA's budget for years, and he wants to run for president. It's Governor Cuomo's he fault. He put forth a budget this year that cut $65 million from their operating budget and then says that he had, nobody has cared more and wanted to invest more in the MTA than himself. So that's a lie, and if you are angry about your train service, you should tweet at Governor Cuomo okay. and let him know to fix that you want MTA. him to fix the MTA. Well, there you have it. There's something that we can all do. We can tweet at Fix the MTA. And thank God for advocates like Jackie who spend their livelihoods really dedicated to fixing oh, this thanks. issue. So speaking of the president, we oh, yeah. have a five-year-old president. Actually, <laughs> he may be like a three-year-old president. Yeah, president. So this child. week in our president is five years old. Um, rather than dealing with the important business of the country, uh, you know, figuring out how to fund infrastructure projects like fixing the subway system um, or creating jobs or, you know, having clean energy or any of the many other problems that the president could be working on, um, he decided that it was more important to tweet about whether or not uh, Mika Brzezinski, I can't say her last name, had a facelift when she came to Mar-a-Lago during New Year's Eve with Morning Joe, who happens to be her fiance, and they do a show together on MSNBC. Um, But at the end of the day, this really, like, on top of the fact that this is a distraction from all the important issues that are going on, this is also just another attack on the press. Um, And this was just more and more attacks on the press that went on on Twitter all week, where the president spent the entirety of the week uh, attacking multiple different press outlets. Um, And this is something we see from dictators when they attack the freedom of the press and they this thwarts the press's ability to do their job. So this is more concerning than just tweeting about somebody's facelift. No, absolutely, Alyssa. I definitely share that same sentiment when it comes to the press. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is definitely taking a page out of Vladimir Putin's book where it's just that you attack the press so much where people aren't trusting it. And the only type of press that it seems like he wants is the ones uh, is the press from Fox News, which credit him and praise him and approve everything that he's doing. It's sickening. But I also want to say that tweet against Mika was also extremely sexist. Like the fact that he was talking about she has such surprise. a low IQ and like she and like she her face was bleeding from a face. But are you surprised? I mean, this is a guy but, that said let's grab her by the you know where and people still elected him. Well, and on top of that, this week I don't know if you guys saw that video in which there was an Irish reporter inside of I think it was the East Wing or the West Wing with uh, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. He literally calls her over with his finger is like come here, like come here, sweet uh, thing. He didn't say sweet I thing, but it was in that shuddered. tone. So he calls her over and he was like, you have like a a really nice smile like he literally like she's working she's a working journalist and he he thinks he's complimenting her and flattering her on her looks and then she tweeted and she was like this was extremely awkward it was bizarre and why why are you demeaning this working professional woman to her smile totally inappropriate i just want to take a moment to blame white people for trump one more time (laughs) Hold hold on about that stanley because there's actually a new report that was released by the cato reports that says that there's five different types of Trump reporters. I mean, Trump Voters. supporters. supporters. <laughs> Racist white ones, no. white ones, white people who are angry at black people, <laughs> Uncle Tom's and T.O. Wands. Congratulations. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so in, like, in that same vein, there was a big news story that came out this week that it interviewed dozens of women that have experienced sexual assault or just inappropriate behavior from bosses in Silicon Valley and they spoke out against their higher-ups at their companies. You know, And it ran the gamut 
from bosses that ask women out or like deny them jobs or promotions to just like inappropriate comments and behavior in the office. And it was story after story after story. And definitely encourage folks to check it out on uh, the New York Times website. But what I think is interesting about where we are in 2017 is that this is something, you know, like, I guess not silver lining, but I feel like we are seeing a shift in the willingness that people have to talk about these things. And that comes from greater visibility and greater support. You know, like, I think a lot of the reason women don't report incidents of sexual harassment in the workplace is because they feel like they're going to be targeted, they're going to be um, retaliated against, and people won't believe them. And so I was um, not happy to see this article because I wasn't happy to hear about these incidents, even though we know that this happens, that women are constantly sexually harassed in the workplace. But I think that it's great that women are coming forth and taking a stand and saying this is unacceptable and here's my story and that the rest of us are reading about this and believing them and doing what we can to support support them. Absolutely. I'm not surprised women don't want to talk about these things. The president of the United States is a potentially a, a, a serial harasser and rapist and he's the president and no one cares so why would anyone else feel like they can speak up and something would happen right right and yeah. that just goes to show yeah but so, they are which is talk the... about role models that's not one of them <laughs> definitely not i mean on fox news though if you, i don't know if you guys ever listen but they talk about him like he's the best thing since obama i mean White well people. on state news that's what they're gonna do they're mm. gonna talk about the president like, right absolutely. exactly it's basically state run news it, it literally is like that's what it's be- he watches it he tweets at them like they communicate back and forth he's the that's the only station that he's willing to give anything to really you know like that's what it's become yeah so make america russia again (laughs) so on that note we're going to take a quick break but don't go away when we come back we're going to be talking scotus we're going to be talking lgbtq right here on let your voice be heard that's a wall chest in case you need your chest knocked off Y'all be talking crazy under the IG pictures. So when you get the hell, you tell them Blanco sent you. W-H-C-R. I can't take no threats, I got a set of twins. Those were just some words you never hear again. For the final time, you don't believe these fools. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Selena doesn't get my bars because they go over her head. Tic-tac-toe, I saw a fly. Barley got shot by an FBI. Bars. Bars. <laughs> Thank day. you for that elementary rap stand. Had to bar you up real quick. Do you want to know where the first LGBT riot began? At a Stonewall. bar. <laughs> At a bar. Speaking of At bars. Bar. bars. That's bar. hilarious. I'm, unfortunately, I was not talking about that kind of bar, even though I will be visiting that bar very soon, as soon as I can, actually. We are back. On Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz, your resident rapper, backpacking with the rap tracks like that, and it rhymes. See, I'm nice. Resident rapper. I'm also rapper. here with Selena Hill, who can't rap, who can't spit bars, but she has lots of opinions that are wrong about my rap skills. First of all, and I almost also- signed a deal. You know I used to rap back in the day. And I almost had <laughs> right, a deal. Let's not go there. <laughs> we can have that conversation after. By almost having a deal, she means that she walked past Def Jam Records one day. <laughs> I'm also in the studio with Alyssa Fuchs. And somebody waved at her. Yeah, right? And she's like, oh not my true. God, I got discovered. <laughs> <laughs> not true, guys. <laughs> We're here with Alyssa Fuchs. I'm also here with Jackie Cohen, who is right now deleting her J-Date app because she forgot she had it still. I never had J-Date, and that's but, offensive. But I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know I need it, shoot. Because I, I need a J date. You didn't you have a J like somebody yes. say you have on J date, which yes. is amazing. Yeah. You know, there was a J date commercial once where there was a woman making matzo ball soup and she was like, This recipe took three generations of Cohen's to perfect. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my. and it was like a goo it was like a internet <laughs> ad that I got 
that. So it was like, J-Date was like, how do we t- get Jackie Cohen? To That's offensive. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> I mean, there's a million Cohens, right? Like, they, they on, know on their audience. Pe- on Black People with Me, there was somebody making Hennessy from scratch. And it was like... <laughs> 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 You know, there's also LGBT dating sites, but not as many of them. With Tinder? <laughs> no, Tinder, you can be LGBT and many, you know, any permutation of gender or sexuality. Like but there was, in like general, a there's a lack of LGBT grinder. dating sites, just like there's a lack of everything else LGBT. Yo, yeah. I want to be gay just so I can use Grindr. It seems like so much fun. Everyone I know who uses Grindr is having a blast. All right, guys, let's get off a tangent now. We actually have real things to talk about. In case you've been living under a rock or drinking so much Hennessy that you cannot stay awake the entire night, shout out to somebody. Yourself. (laughs) No, actually, I had noob juice yesterday and nothing else. You may have missed the fact that Donald Jahaspa racist backpacking Trump became president (laughs) of the United States. And when he is not trying to have sex with his daughter or sending racist messages to people on Twitter or attacking women because they don't seem to be able to believe that he is a person that is leading the country, he is also trying to run the country. Into the ground, that is. And one of the ways he's been doing that is by attacking Muslims, by attacking women, by attacking undocumented people, and of course, the good, old, reliable attacking the blacks with the war on drugs policies. But while we have all been putting our focus and our energy on protecting those groups and standing up for those groups, there is one group, believe it or not, that has kind of fallen to the wayside as far as like who we are looking to stand up for. And that group, believe it or not, is the LGBTQIA community. And I'm trying to use all the acronyms. And if I mess it up, I apologize. You hit them advance. all. It's a nice Boom. little alphabet soup there. That's right. And you're wondering why? Well, since same-sex marriage has pretty much become the law of the land, a lot of people have felt like the big battle in that movement is over and there's nothing else left to do. Not taking into account the fact that we have some serious trans issues in this country, not taking into the fact that we have people of color who are also gay or lesbian who are having a lot of issues, not taking into account that all the problems we're having inside of our schools and the treatment of LGBTQ students in those school systems. Ignoring all those things, we have just taken same-sex marriage and said, ha-ha, we have a victory we're all happy it's over. Mm. Donald Trump and of course his in the closet vice president Mike Pence who probably fantasizes about men every day and then gets mad and writes policies to be, to make gay men feel bad about it have been working on plans to push down the homosexual agenda. If you're wondering what the homosexual agenda is, it's when they all are looking great because they're in shape and they have good jobs, and then they go and tell people to live that life as well. They have been pushing these policies to push down the gay agenda. And what what have they been doing? Well, there's a couple things they've been doing, actually. On February 10th, one of the first things they did was they had a Justice Department sign off on deprioritizing something that Barack Obama had put in, um, ah, pardon me, having getting tongue tied. Specifically, they had signed off on a, on some legis- on some language that would deprioritize President Obama's um, protections for transgender students in a key lawsuit. So, in case you guys didn't know, in North Carolina there were some issues where trans students weren't able to use the bathrooms they wanted to use. It's not just in North Carolina. No, I know, but I want to use that one because that's the most recognizable. So, what happened was the, the Obama administration, with the brother Lynch, who was the um, district attorney, attorney general at the time, had just put forth these protections. The Trump administration in February. Before they even decided to go put some more you know, bills on that would hurt black people, they said, let's deprioritize this. One of the people who was actually against them deprioritizing it was Betsy DeVos, the woman who invested in religious schools that allows them to ban gays from coming to those schools. And then on March 27th, Trump signed an executive order that nullified an Obama administration initiative to ensure that the federal co- contractors comply with the labor and civil rights laws forbidding discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Sign on that bill, killing it. Then the very next day, <laughs> the very next day, they were like, hey, U.S. Census, stop counting gay and lesbian people. Just don't do that. 
we don't count them as people. Oh, and by the way, he signed an executive order that makes it okay for people, for religions, to refuse services to people and to make certain decisions based solely on their religion. And with all those things happening, all of a sudden we have this Supreme Court case that's going to be coming up, and we're going to have a decision next year, and it starts off from a lawsuit. A lawsuit from a same-sex couple that wanted to get married. They want to celebrate that marriage. They wanted some cake. You guys like cake? Love cake. I love cake. I love cake. It's freaking delicious. And the baker said, well, you know what, guys? Even though... All you're doing is trying to give me money to do my job. I feel offended, so I don't want to bake this cake because you're gay. And if I bake the cake, then my cake will then be gay. Obviously, they pushed back on this. And he said, well, it's because of my religion. Bringing back the usual trope that people from the right use, that their religion is stopping them from looking at gay people like human beings because God said so. And now, after having that case, that case beat up a couple of times, it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And it sets, up, sets us up for a situation where Trump's new Supreme Court appointee, Gorsuch is going to be able to decide. Gorsuch. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have no respect for Gorsuch, whatever his name yeah. is. Right, whatever. Yeah. I, I respect How about the... Justice Stolen Seat? Well, yeah, Justice Stolen Oh, oh seat. yes. Justice Stolen Seat. Thank you. Justice Stolen Seat is going to be a big piece in deciding on whether people can refuse service to someone else because of their religious convictions. And that's where it leaves us today, having this conversation about the LGBTQIA movement and what is happening under the Trump administration. So that was a lot of information, a lot of different things happening all at once. And some of it was mumbled very poorly so i want to give you guys a second to unpack the first question i have for you is is two part a did you know this these things were happening and b how do you feel about it now that you do know if you didn't selena you know what i didn't know every single detail that was talking about i mean you know you can't miss a day in the news without trump oppressing uh, somebody or disenfranchising one group of people or you know banning another group from coming into this country which we'll talk about later and it's it's horrible and uh, you know since we're going to be talking we're going to be talking about that uh the man the baker who wanted to um who said that he had a legal right to not bake a cake for the same-sex couple and obviously, we have Alyssa on the show, who's our resident legal expert. I wanted to. I thought you were going to say resident gay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I was waiting for it to see. Oh, no, 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 no. Alyssa no. is our resident LGBTQIA. Did I say it right? <laughs> I know, right? No, but so, so just like the legality of it, because like he went on the View, he did an interview, and you know, him and his lawyer talked about how him as a Christian man, somebody who leans probably to the right, uh, he also doesn't bake cakes for people who celebrate Halloween. He also doesn't break cakes for people for adult sex parties. And he was just saying that it all falls in line. He says, I reject people. If you have an adult party, I'm not going to bake your cake. If you're celebrating <laughs> Halloween, I am not going to bake your cake. So what's the difference between him say telling a same-sex couple, hey, I'm not going to bake the cake for your little child's Halloween party or for your wedding. What's the difference, Alyssa? Alyssa? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I know Jackie wanted to jump in there real quick. You know, this is going to be a really interesting factor that ends up coming up in this case because it's not a situation where he's saying, uh, you know, he actually said, I would bake a cake for this couple if they wanted a birthday cake. I just won't make them a wedding cake. And so because that's what makes this that's what makes this so in such an interesting thing is he, no, because he's saying, I'm not... You know, I would make them a birthday cake. Just, I don't care that they're gay if they, if they want a birthday cake. I just won't make them a wedding cake, right? Um, and he's saying, like, I'll make you an Easter cake, but I wouldn't make you as a Christian. Um, if, even if you were a Christian, I wouldn't make you a Halloween cake because I don't believe in Christianity. I think that's going to end up becoming an interesting factor in this case. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't get away from that. This at the end, at the core of this is the fact that he is trying to be discriminatory. I, and and this really goes back to Jim Crow, you know, which is the same 
same kind of arguments were made when they didn't want people sitting at water fountains. They said, I can't have a black person using the same water fountain as me because it's against my religion. So, you know, those are interesting factors in this case. But at the end of the day, I don't think that the Supreme Court is going to make their decision based on those intricacies of this specific case. Well, I could be wrong. We'll see. see. I different. just wonder, like, would he bake a bar mitzvah cake? Or no. because that's not it. I bet you he would. Or though I bet you he might not because he's probably never seen a Jewish person before. Yeah, he might not bake a black given cake his, too. Yeah, right. So, but like, that's the thing. It's like, I, 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 don't understand any of the logic. I, I really don't. Like, I just ba- like you have a business. You don't have to celebrate. You're not participating in the celebration, although he argues otherwise. But I think also you're willing to bake a type of wedding cake. Like you believe in weddings. You're willing to bake a wedding cake for straight couples. You should be willing to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple. So not that hard. I, this is like, I want to give us a chance to finish unpacking this, but let's be brief because I want to move on to some of the other things happening. Well, no, actually, that's what I was just going to say, which is like we're getting so caught up in this thing about the wedding cake. And I think it's important because the underlying issue is really not a cake. It's discrimination. But like we shouldn't lose focus that this is still a conversation about marriage. And there are so many other issues that right. are impacting the LGBTQIA community. Um, you know, you asked Selena and just generally asked the panel at the beginning of the section whether uh, segment, whether or not they knew these things are going on like these things are going on and even worse than in some of what you just said i mean yeah. the supreme court was going to hear the case about the bathroom law the gavin grimm case the supreme court decided not to hear that case now because of the fact that as you pointed out at the beginning trump pulled that um that guidance and yeah. so they sort of said well at this point the case is sort of moot so maybe it will come back up to us so now we're not going to get a supreme court ruling on that which may or may not be actually a good thing we don't no. Um, you know, but everything that Obama tried to do to protect these kids is now out the window. In, on top of that, in most states, I don't know the number offhand, but it's an s- extremely high number. LGBT people and trans people have absolutely no employment protections. 23. Meaning even and as far as I know, even here in New York, meaning if I showed up to work tomorrow and said I was transitioning and I wanted to start taking testosterone, um, you know, and I wanted to be called male pronouns and a male name, um, in theory, my employer could fire me if they wanted to. Right. Um, and I wouldn't have any legal recourse. And to add insult to injury, these problems, all these problems facing members of the LGBT community that got ignored for so long behind the gay marriage issue impact LGBT, P, LGBTQIA people of color more than anybody else. The rate of suicide amongst transgender women of color is extremely high. The rate of suicide amongst trans youth is extremely high. These are issues that have been ignored for far too long because of the focus on marriage and as an LGBTQ person, I am so glad that we got gay marriage. It's great. It, you know, it should have always been the case that we have an equal society. But at the same time, I am also conscious that so many of these other issues haven't been neglected. And now we need to fight even harder because of the fact that Donald Trump is president. Absolutely, guys. And if you guys want to call in and chime into this conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. Stanley? Yeah. So, guys, we're going to go on a little break. We'll be right back. We have some pretty interesting conversations to have including is why 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 has it not been more pushback against the trump administration for what they're doing this is let your voice be heard slamming bentley doors like we invented doors 20 years ago we drove bentley it's all so drinking crystal in yeah kept a tray on me like chris paul in drinking they spade like it's codeine now trying to put a million on the whole team now push through the paint so we can see new life so all the ladies have we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Let's go on, with Resident Queer. You know, I, you know what? 
I was gonna say Black Lives Matter, but that doesn't—that's not even relevant in this. Thing. Queer <laughs> lives queer, matter. Queer, queer lives matter. Trans lives matter. Trans lives matter. That's right. So, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on ninety point three FM WHCR, the Voice of Harlem. And if you are just tuning in, we are having a great conversation about the new threats facing the LGBTQIA community in light of Agent Orange presidential administration. And when we Cheeto, yes. The Cheeto Master. And when we've closed out the um, previous conversation to go to break, we were just talking about, like, why some of these people have so much anger and frustration towards this group. And I wanted to throw it to Selena for a second because Selena is, I think, our resident Christian. And <laughs> um, Not me. Yeah, I, oh, you, you become a Christian since yes. five minutes ago? Yes. I've changed. Name I've one passage the- in the Bible. <laughs> Um, the Bible's a Jewish book. That's yeah, the not Bible. I know. Yeah, you don't want to ask me that. Go ahead. She's like Passions of Christ three, <laughs> the Return of Jesus. Uh, uh, that movie with yeah. Okay. The Revenge of <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, anyways, guys. But but Selena, you know, you're someone who your religion is very like important to you, and it's like you. You one of the biggest one of the things that almost stopped us from coming on the show, which you probably don't even remember anymore, is that like you were really concerned because you were going to miss church. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. And I remember me being very insensitive and saying, I will go to Harlem by myself and do the show. (laughs) 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 But, um, like, you you still go to church on Wednesdays, and, like, we've had your past on the show a couple of years ago. (laughs) Let's not bring that up. Let's not go there. Yeah, not even. He vehemently said that he wasn't gay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It it didn't go well. I'll just put it like that. It It didn't go well. We've been trying to get the pastor from uh, Stone the Gays on, but, you know, he won't make an appearance here. No. Not at all. Unfortunately. A lot of people of religious faith seem to have an issue with people who are gay and lesbian. They consider it a sin, obviously. But, you know, not lying, but, like, um infidelity is a sin and murder is a sin and all these things seem forgivable but then when it comes to like being gay it seems like this there's, there's a lot more energy and i could be projecting but it seems like there's a lot more energy why is that that's such a great question stanley and trying to speak on behalf of all of the christians i know all people Jesus. of faith well I, I mean i think that every single major religion talks about sexuality and it talks about marriage in a religious sense and i think that because of the doctrine and the way that the doctrine actually talks i mean excuse me the the way that it's framed um it it definitely gives people justification to feel the way that they feel now i've had these conversations within my own household and i've talked to my mother about you know same-sex marriage and, and fornication and i asked her i said like you know we've went to uh, you know you know a number of our family members have had babies out of wedlock and we go to their what is it called we go to their baby showers all the time and we celebrate this why is it that something like this isn't as comfortable for you or why is it going to like we have gay family members like why isn't that going to a family member who is gay's wedding more uncomfortable for you than it would be going to celebrating your niece's uh third child out of wedlock or, or second child out of wedlock and it's i don't is is I don't know. I really don't understand. I think that it's because because being gay is just I guess like an outwardly appearance and like you can tell who's gay or something. No, That's the reason can't. why I would I would <laughs> argue <laughs> the exact opposite though. I would say that there's like a threat to like a certain power structure and what plays into that is the fact that you can't tell if somebody's gay, right? Like you can do things like and like there's like a culture that's been created or several cultures that have been created to sort of help identify. But ultimately, you cannot tell if somebody's gay or if they're straight just from their outward appearance. And I think that th- that threatens people in some way that they feel like, oh, well, 
Like, I don't know. It makes them question their own sexual identity or I, I don't know what it is specifically, but I do know that I think that sort of hidden identity plays a part into it. And, that's, and I just want to say that, again, it's also the rigi- religious texts in all major religions but, that talk about marriage being between a man and a woman. But I would totally push back on that because yeah. the Bible says, well, on two levels. Number one, there's a ton of hypocrisy because the Bible says a lot of things that people do not follow, that in particular Christians do not follow right. from the Old Testament. This anti-gay thing does not come from the New Testament. It comes from the Old Testament, the Jewish book of the Torah, okay? Number two is there's a lot of other things in the Jewish book of the Torah that are not followed at all. Like Christians eat pork. Maybe you don't, but a lot of Christians do. And Uh, shellfish. And Christians eat shellfish. So there's all these things that the Jewish book says are sins that Christians don't follow at all and they don't make a big deal out of, but they make a big deal out of the gay thing. So to me, there's more of a level of hypocrisy and homophobia. Number two, the Bible does not define marriage as just being between a man and a woman. In the Bible, there's actually like 15 different types of biblical marriage. There's the man and the woman and the man, the, the man's brother's wife if his brother dies. Yeah. And there's the man and the woman and his concubine. And yeah. the man and the woman and the this. So there's like 30 different permutations of biblical marriage. You so have a concubine? I'm, yeah. I'm about to get saved. I'm so <laughs> sick of hearing biblical marriage used as an excuse about why to discriminate. But again, I feel like we're getting too caught up in the marriage issue like I know that you're trying to like just differentiate like why religions yes religions have been vehemently anti-gay but then there's also like within this white progressive movement there's like an anti-trans sentiment there's a huge conflict going on right now between white gay men that have money and in fact call themselves gay men for Trump um, and yet they totally put down the trans community um, refuse to use people's correct pronouns don't think that trans issues matter don't realize the number of trans people of color um, and just trans people in general that are being killed. So even within the LGBT community, there's sort of a disconnect going on. And that's something that really needs to be addressed. And then to push that even further, and Stanley, I'm sure you can speak about this because you've seen this firsthand. And I obviously don't want to speak about this completely, but within the black communities, there's obviously very, very much anti-gay and anti-trans sentiment, as you are aware, and hopefully you can speak on more than me. So when you combine all these issues together, it's not just one group, the religious right, that is pushing back against LGBTQ people. From all angles, people are taking this, some of which comes from religion, and some of it just comes from a place of fear of the unknown or of fear of one's own sexuality, not being comfortable with themselves. I mean, that's why we have terms like down low person right down or low brothers down low brothers you know <laughs> like well i was tra- you know or you like say brothers that, like this is why we have these kinds of terms so this doesn't just come from the religious right this comes from all angles it comes like gay people and trans people and queer people are getting this from the liberal from gay liberals that are white people are getting this from like it's coming from all different angles that's what makes this such a big problem that needs to be dealt with we have to have a cultural shift in how we talk about these issues and I think that also but I do want Stanley to address part of what Alyssa said but I think just really quick something that we're seeing now is something that we've seen in other social movements in this country particularly feminism comes to mind where women white women started achieving a certain level of rights like the right to vote before black women right Um, and and, you know, feminism prioritized white women. And so white women felt very comfortable and they felt like they, you know, didn't have to advocate and lift up everybody else because they had their rights. And I think we're starting to see this a bit in the LGBTQIA movement in this country is that a lot of queer white people feel that they've, 
you know, seen a change in their lives that they've accomplished a lot and, you know, have obtained a certain level of rights and can leave everybody else out. And that's a huge problem. And as we mentioned before, we still see a lot of violence towards queer people of color, trans people of color. Absolutely. We see suicide rates are higher in those communities than ever. Um, So that's a big problem and something that we need to address. But Stanley, I want you to... So you guys are like giving so many gems. I don't know what to say. I, I do want to just directly respond to you, Alyssa, that I agree, Selena, that, yeah, there's people will like I'll get some slack for this. But the black community is painfully homophobic, just very homophobic. And I think one of the best examples you can get that not, not just homophobic, but transphobic. And one of the best examples you can get of that is how much violence has been put upon trans women in our communities. But isn't a lot of that violence done by white people? No. So in Harlem... Right. He's talking and, specifically okay. within yeah. the black community. And, like, don't don't get it wrong. White people are always the number one trash people of the world. But, like, in, in this situation, <laughs> like, screw white people. Let's be clear. But in this situation over here, you have, like, especially in Harlem, there's, like, actual violence being put upon trans women. There was a trans woman that was murdered right there on 125th Street and St. Nicholas right by the sea train, right in front of the Popeyes, got attacked by a man because he was too bothered because she was, you know, she was in her own skin and comfortable and he brutally beat her in front of everyone and no one said a word. And that's not just, like, a surprising thing. That happens all the time. All the time. And the black community is always like, oh, well, they need Jesus and they want to pray things away or they want to ignore it or use like violence, violent language towards gay people. And I'm guilty of that as well, because in my group chat, you know, I won't lie to you and say like, you know, people don't say, oh, hey, yo, pause or like, you know, some of the things that we do. It's become just a part of the culture and it's something that we have to address. So I agree with Alyssa. And I just, yeah, no, and I just wanted to add on about, about the black community. And I think that it's also because like, because black people are, have been like historically disenfranchised and i think that when another man sees a transgender woman it's like a reflection of him and he looks at it as like if you if since we're already black you know since we already have all of this oppression to add another level is something that our community can't afford. Can I? I yes. want to push back on that, and I understand what you're trying to do, but no, I reject that notion. It's transphobia, plain and simple, because the problem with men in particular is a lot of us have a lot of problems being able to be comfortable in our own skins, so we attack other people. It's patriarchy. But why black men in a, particular, Stanley? No, all men do this. But that's, I want to know black I, men in particular. Like, I don't have an answer for black men in particular. The community is like the black community is like unfortunately extremely homophobic and extremely transphobic, and that's and that comes from religion. And then, but then also you add that, and you add a level of patriarchy in religion and a patriarchy in general society, and then you have that's what happens. So, but do you think because white people have plenty of crazy right wing religions that they adhere to, and I mean white people are plenty homophobic and transphobic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But do you think that there's like some middle ground between what the two of you are saying? That there's a a big part of it is religion, but a big part of it might be this like societal oppression that forces people to like take a stance that you know. I think it's patriarchy and sexism, and I think that like people are hurting people at different levels. So in that poor black community, it might be through violence. And Alyssa's been trying to. I just want to. I want to like make two points. Number one, I want to make a point about what you said earlier a big part of the pushback to the trans community has also been the feminist movement white feminists yes, that have said absolutely. we you're not a woman right uh, you posted an article about this the other day oh, that we gosh. got that we had a lot of comments about it <sighs> but the white feminist movement feels threatened in some ways yes. by the trans community yes. because they fought so hard for rights for women and in some cases they don't recognize trans women as women so we should clarify something right now trans women are women trans men are 
men, okay? Anybody else, like, sort of falls in the in-between, like myself, you know, as being gender non-binary, we are whatever we choose to identify at, which comes to my second point to address to you, which is there is some truth to the fact that being a queer person, I still have white privilege, and that's something that we should never forget and something that's super important and that other queer people that are white need to recognize their own privilege and use that privilege to help people that are queer that are not white um, to be elevated. Because I have not, while I have encountered adversity in my life as being queer and being gay, and, you know, it has not been at the level that other people, and in particular queer people of color, have experienced. And part of that has to do with my whiteness and my family background um, and the fact that I've had access to resources that other people do not have. So I think it's really important that white queer people elevate the voices of queer people of color um, into the spaces in order to figure out how we can help them to best serve their communities, especially when we are not facing the kind of adversity that they are facing. In the future, we should bring a queer woman of color to have this conversation yeah. to, to make it more equitable. Selena? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also wanted to say, like, you know, I personally know your family background and I know, like, you know, the education level that you guys come from. But I think that when you don't have that education and you have, like, a barrier of ignorance around something or, or someone who's transitioning or, or you know, something like that, that it's so foreign and a lot of times we reject foreign things right and to that point i've seen a lot of feedback especially regarding an article that stanley posted about trans women not being the same kind of women as cis women and it annoys me so much to see this argument like oh well like yeah you're women but you can't understand what i've gone through because you've never had a period or you don't have the same parts as me so like there's an an inherent experience that's just different like I'm sitting here with two other people who were born with the, you know, at the same, you know, sexual organs as I was, right? One of whom is a cisgendered straight woman, the other of whom is a queer gender nonconforming person, right? Like th- like I cannot think of two people that have had more different experiences than I have, even though we were all born with the same parts, right? So to say that, like, oh, you have to be born with certain genitalia to understand my experience as a human being is so outrageous to me and wrong. And when we pin ourselves in these little boxes, we alienate everybody out. And, you know, that does nothing for inclusion and does nothing to promote the rights of other people right we just try to like separate ourselves off from everybody else right and i just wanted to give one more quick comment in response to what you said selena because i think it's an important point and it's about education a lot of times when trans students feel that they cannot use a bathroom cannot use a locker room something like that going back full circle to where we started this segment what do they do they drop out and when they drop out they don't get the kind of education that i have and when you don't have the kind of education that i have then you don't have access to the kind of jobs that I have access to and then you don't have access to the kind of money that I have ac- that I eventually will well maybe have access to compared <laughs> to other people and hope to have access to in the future so all these issues are interconnected just the fact that you tell somebody they can't use the bathroom can deter them from getting an education and if they don't get an education they cannot necessarily succeed in life so everything is connected to everything else we should never forget that Stanley Very it's a ripple effect I just wanted to say before I close this out I, I posted an article that Jackie was mentioning where a woman, a woman of color wrote an article saying that trans women and women are not the same. Really? I didn't yes. see that. So I shared it because like... It's I, problematic so to say it's, the least. Yeah. yeah. And I shared it and I remember Marilyn read it first and she sent it to me and she said, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know and I don't know if I should have an opinion so I shared it. And then Stanley 
disappeared. Yeah. And I mean, the inten- I mean, that might be why you got blocked from. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't actually that. It was something else. But anyway, um, I actually was in the all day meeting, which was the worst time to post something. Oh so I gosh. wasn't on social media. That's right. And I came back and there was like a war happening on my page. I do want to say I shouldn't have posted that, that article. That was wrong because it's, pe- it's quote unquote, well-meaning people who perpetuate hurtful conversations. Right. And that's what I did. Um, but I do want to close out this conversation because we do have to close it out. We are under attack at all fronts in this Trump administration. And I know that it seems like, like we're all over the place, but so what? We have to be. We have to protect our people because everything is at stake right now. And I know people say that all the time, and we probably say it every week, but everything is at stake right now. Because right now, somewhere in Brooklyn or in Tennessee or in Mississippi or somewhere in this country is a young girl, and you know what? She's realizing for the first time that she likes other girls, and she's scared. And she's going to have to go like grow up and process that and deal with all of the forces, the outside forces that will influence and try to harm her. And they'll probably be successful if people like us do not stand up and do not fight. And right now, probably on 125th Street, there's a trans woman who's getting street harassed by some guy because he can't handle the fact that he's attracted to a trans person and now he has to react violently to her, whether verbally or physically. And those things will continue to happen because there are no protections for them if we don't stand up. There are a lot of battles to fight. I know you're tired. But so what? Take a deep breath and let's keep on going because if we don't do it, who will? So with that being said, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. But when we come back, it'll be finally the quickie. And Alyssa will tell you all the great things that you may or may not have known about this new religious band. Yeah. Got a little cold, so bear with me. Yeah. Yeah. Stuck in la la land. Even when we win, we gon' lose. We got the same f-ing flows. I don't know who is who. And we are back. So, you know, I, I sort of will end the last segment in talking about the beginning of this one, which is like our fight of solidarity includes all of us and includes all issues. And one of those fights that we must have in solidarity is also a fight um, against Islamophobia um, and against religious tests to determine who can come into our country and who cannot. Um, so that said, um, I'll really get into what I'm really talking about, which is over the past few weeks uh, or actually over the past week, it seems like the Supreme Court has handed the Trump administration a big victory by partially allowing the Muslim ban slash travel ban to go into effect. However, a lot of people don't realize that this is actually just the beginning. It's not the end um, and that this fight is not over yet um, and that this is not a final ruling. This is actually a preliminary uh, preliminary ruling. Um, and I know that was confusing for a lot of people, including um, you know some people that I'm very close with that didn't really understand what was going on. That's not their fault. This is par- partially because our legal system is complicated. So I thought I'd start by telling you a little bit about how the appeals process works, because that will give you a good idea as to what exactly is going on. And then I'll tell you a little more about who is and who is not allowed into the country with this revised travel ban. Um, So essentially what happened last week was the Supreme Court decided that they were going to hear the case about the Muslim slash travel ban, and they were going to eventually determine next term whether or not it was constitutional or not. Um, But in 
doing so, they also have to make another decision, which is they have to decide whether to allow the law to go into effect or not in the interim. In the meantime, while they are waiting to uh, get the legal briefs, meaning the written legal documents that are going to be submitted by both sides, um, and also while they are waiting to hear oral arguments. And so they have to determine either to let the law go into effect, um, either fully or partially, or whether to keep the law stayed. Um, So as you may remember, uh, there was a lawsuit brought against this ban. That lawsuit eventually went on appeal up to different circuit courts all over the country, and those circuit courts issued rulings. The majority of those rulings actually ruled that the ban was likely to be unconstitutional, and so those courts issued what's called a stay, meaning they did not let the law go into effect. Um, when a case when a case has exhausted its lower appellate remedies and the final stop is the Supreme Court, the different parties will then ask the Supreme Court um, to hear the case. And that is a process known as petitioning the court for what's known as certiari, which is a fancy Latin term, which essentially means to ask the court to hear the case. Um, the court, the Supreme Court, is asked to hear many, many cases per year, sometimes as many as 200. And usually the court hears about 80, although in the past couple of years, The court has granted even less cert petitions and has heard even less cases. Uh, Once the court grants a cert petition and determines that they are going to hear uh, a lawsuit or an appeal next term, they then have to determine, should we allow the law to go into effect or should we consider continue to grant the stay or should we allow the law to go into effect, but only partially? Um, And usually the way that is decided is if the justices think that it's more likely than not that the law is actually going to be upheld, meaning not ruled unconstitutional they'll normally let it go into effect in full. If there is reason to believe the law will definitely not be upheld and definitely, you know, reason to believe it will be held unconstitutional, they usually keep the stay going. Um, What the court did here was actually a middle ground, which is they let the law go into effect, but only partially. And I'm going to get into that, what that means in a half a second. Um, And so that is definitely a cause for concern because it means that there's at least a couple justices that believe that this travel ban is not unconstitutional, meaning it is constitutional and that it will pass constitutional muster on its face as a whole. The thing is, we just don't know what they're going to rule yet because that hasn't happened and won't happen until next term. Um, On the other hand, there's some justices that believe that this law is not constitutional. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. We have basically four liberal justices and four conservative justices. And then we have Anthony Kennedy, who sort of swings both ways in the middle. Um, So it's really no surprise that it's sort of this middle ground. The problem with this middle ground is the Supreme Court said, and this is where I'm going to get into the substance, is um, that if you have a bona fide relationship with the United States, that you can come here. Um, but if you do not have a bona fide relationship with the United States, you cannot. But of course, the Supreme Court did not decide what bona fide relationship meant. They left that to the Trump administration to determine. And so that obviously creates another problem because late Thursday night, the Trump administration um was able to determine who was going to be included in that. And so what basically is going on now is the law has partially gone into effect. It has not fully gone into effect, and it's gone into partial effect using this bona fide person test, uh, which means that close family, such as in-laws, step-siblings, half-siblings are allowed, um, but grandparents and nieces and nephews are not. Um, The Trump administration just added to that list people who are engaged to be married. Um, Those people are now going to be considered close family members, and they are added to the list of sufficient connections. Um, Legal permanent residents are not affected, which means if you're coming from Syria or from Iran and you are a lawful permanent resident green card holder in the United States, you are not affected. Um, However, that does not mean... um, 
everybody is not affected. So um, as I already sort of mentioned, um, hold on, I'm just trying to pull up my notes here, sorry, um, that parents, including mother-in-laws and father-in-laws, are included, siblings, including half-brothers and stepsisters, included adult sons and daughters, including son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and their spouses, are included, and fiancés. The following individuals are not deemed to have a close bona fide relationship. Grandparents, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, brother-in-laws, sister-in-laws, cousins, or quote-unquote extended families. Uh, so all those people will be infected. Um, the revised ban does not apply to those people who are coming to the United States to accept a job or to speak at a lecture. Um, so if you are coming, so if you have a hotel reservation, um, then you can get in and you're not banned. But refugees who have no agreements for resettlement agencies and have no current family in the U.S. will not be exempted. What that means is refugees fleeing civil wars and violence around the world um, will have to wait at least 120 days uh, until the United States determines whether or not they can come in. Um, and so obviously this is a confusing situation and it is confusing because of the fact that the Supreme Court took this middle ground. I have a feeling, I don't know for sure, I'm just speculating, that was probably Judge uh, Stolen Seat who made the decision to allow this partial ban to go into effect. Mm -hmm. uh, he seems like the person who would have cast that vote. Um, my hope is that the Supreme Court will eventually see this ban for what it is, a religious test, and they will rule it unconstitutional. But we are not going to know what's going to happen until the fall. And at the end of the day, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the Trump administration, then eventually this Muslim ban slash travel ban is going to effect go into full effect and these people this bona fide relationship test may go to the wayside on the other hand the supreme court may allow this to go into effect later on but may still uphold this bona fide test so this is obviously something we're going to have to keep watching um it is going to be heard next term we i assume will probably bring you more coverage on that when it does eventually go to court um, but keep fighting the good fight. Oh, and the last thing that I wanted to add is if you are being held up and you are being detained, uh, there is a phone number you can call. That's 1-844-326-4940. So if you have a family member um, and you're concerned or if you're actually being detained, call 1-844-326-4940. Thank you, Alyssa, on that note. And I just want to say that, you know, the title of this show was something along the lines of social consciousness in America. Are you woke? And that was the underlying theme here. We talked about um, 444, which, again, talks about uh, economic empowerment and being woke to that ability. We talked about the LGBT community and how we all need to be fo actively following these issues that affect our queer brothers and sisters. And last but not least, the Muslims. Like, we need to make sure that we are also protecting Muslims from Islamophobia, even though it's coming from the very top of our federal government. On that note, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in and hanging out with us today. If you guys want to listen to the show again, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. You can also listen to, check us out on the web at lyvbh.com and follow us on Twitter at BeHeard underscore radio. Till next week, guys. Welcome back, Carter. Smile. Living in the shadow, can you imagine what kind of life it is to live? In the shadows, people see you as happy and free because that's what you want them to see. Living two lives, happy but not free. You live in the shadows for fear of someone hurting your family or the person you love. The world is changing and they say it's time to be free, but you live with the fear of just being me. Living in the shadow feels like the safe place to be. No harm for them, no harm for me. 
but life is short and it's time to be free. Love who you love because life isn't guaranteed. Smile.